0: at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we
1: go. I keep reminding myself that we're really not in the food business. We're in the people business, both internal and external. Internally, we need to be great stewards of the culture. We need to enrich. We need to inspire. We need to develop. And then externally, we need to remind ourselves that we're creating a multi-sensory memory for our guests.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Who taught you how to be a great restaurateur? Was that person truly great in their role? Were you a truly great student in that season of your life? Today, we're chatting with Mario Del Perra, an objectively great restaurateur and entrepreneur who took the initiative to learn from great restaurateurs. In our conversation, he walks us along the path that led Mendocino Farms to 42 locations and the amazing opportunities that have come after that massive success.
1: I think maybe the path even starts a little bit before that. I was a college student that was trying to figure out every single way how not to be a lawyer. <laughs> and you know, I was working at a buddy's restaurant and very quickly, I don't know if it's the Italian-American in me, but absolutely just fell in love with the restaurant business. I mean, this idea that you can create this incredible experience and almost be the host of this party and get paid for it. And if it's great, they bring their friends back either the next day or the next week it was intoxicating to me. And I really fell in love with the business. And from that point on, maybe the nerd in me, I still was like kind of the wannabe lawyer. So the nerd in me really started trying to dig in. And this is going to date me a little bit. Like I could Google great restaurant tours because at the time, the only thing that availed me in 1992 was Microfish, which... <laughs> Most of the listeners won't even know. I was on this like two year quest of figuring out why everyone says nine out of 10 restaurants fail. And I was maybe even more on the quest of like, why do one out of 10 restaurants succeed? (laughs) Right. It's a better angle to take. Right. What are they doing? Is there anything that I could garner from that? And I got a few takeaways. You really started seeing, you know, some trends as you dug into it. And the fact that most of the great restaurant people actually had great mentorship and worked for great people, that kind of stood out. So you you had back in the day, I mean, again, 1992, this was Norman Brinker from Chili's, but they had done an article on all of the executives that actually were protégés that came out of that system and how many multi-unit brands, best in class they were running. So there's something to be said with that. Digging into some of those greats, all of them are students of the business and really... Had built their companies on the shoulders of prior giants, and was a nerdy guy. I'm like, God, I can be a student of the business. <laughs> like, if anyone, like, I love digging in. And then the last thing that really kind of resonated with me was people weren't really throwing around the word culture in 1992, but there was a real sense of that this business was a people business. And I had always been really involved in athletics and really involved around leadership and this notion of getting big things done, but bringing people along in that process, it really resonated with me. And I think all those things checked a lot of boxes for me. So I deferred going to law school and dug into the restaurant business. And I don't think that they're waiting for me to come back anytime (laughs) soon. Uh, So, so, uh, you know, I've now been in it since basically 92. And then after graduation, of course, ended up working for some like an incredible father-son team, Ron and Greg Newman from Baja Sharkies, total innovators in kind of this Baja cantina space. And then at 25, I had convinced myself that I was so brilliant that I should go and do business on my own. And in fact, grabbed two other smart partners and we created a concept that was based on this movement that we saw of better QSR. So again, this is 1998 now. And the word fast casual doesn't exist, but you have Baja Fresh doing pretty well. There was this little tiny company out of Denver that had like 10 units. I think it was called Chipotle. They were starting to bubble up. So you could see that there was a real movement around better QSR and pulling some of these things from full service and bringing it more into a fast food environment. So we did a better teriyaki concept. And I always like to say that it was a little bit before its time, but it probably just wasn't that great. But there's plenty of lessons that we learned from it. And and probably one of the greatest things that happened beyond my two partners went on to be wildly successful, not in the restaurant business, one in real estate. And the other one is one of the most prolific restaurant attorneys in the country, Riley Loggison. So anyone as Riley is their lawyer. He was an awful business partner for me. No, I'm teasing, <laughs> a great guy and went on to do something far smarter and made this industry great. But I was able to find actually an incredible business person to partner with me on this better for you Teriyaki concept. And she very quickly cleaned up the business and sold it. And I very quickly married her. So I actually married my business partner, Ellen Chen. And Ellen and I at that point were trying to decide like, We're two pretty smart people. Should we really be doing this restaurant business for a living? And if we are, we need to get smarter and we need to pick a category that's bigger and we need to really find a gap. And that's starting the inclination of doing something that we thought was more purpose driven, bigger was the inklings of Mendocino Farms.
0: And as that idea came together, what was the overall thesis? Because if you were to ask, I'd say, an average restaurateur, they would say, what do most people want? Most people want like delicious, terrible for you, cheap, shitty food. (laughs) That's what they want. I would argue that it's probably one of the larger theses in the industry, right? That we all start with these high intentions and then eventually the next thing you know, you're selling these Cisco burgers for like 99 cents each. But what was the thesis? Because it proved to be right at Mendocino Farms. That was the foundation on which you built this brand.
1: Yeah. Look, I think at the end of the day, you want to create concepts that you feel really have a need. You need to serve this, you know, basically solve this problem. And what I was actually seeing is we were looking at the biggest categories. So we looked at burgers. We looked at pizza. We looked at sandwiches and there was just a glaring obvious gap between the lower end subway and even back in, this is 2002, Quiznos was a major player. You also had all these regional players that were actually doing a pretty darn great job and funny enough are now national players. So you had like Jersey Mike's. It was a regional player, but it was like you could tell they were doing something elevated. Firehouse Subs was a regional player. But they were still at this like kind of anywhere from 6 to $8 kind of range. And then at the other end, you had kind of this high-end boutique cafe sandwich. So in LA, we had, and still I love, like Jones on third. You had the home of like the $14-ish sandwich. I know Joan would say it's $12 and it's like, yeah, but you <laughs> need two of them. But it's amazing, right? It's an amazing sandwich. And I think our premise was, if we could have the efficiency of the kitchen and do the volume, then could we sell a $14 sandwich for 10 and that there'd be a real value proposition and we would be in this new gap. Also, look for like some great North Stars, places that you think are having a lot of success, but that you can create something a little bit more innovative on. And at that time, Panera Bread was having an enormous amount of success. They continued to do But I saw Panera as a real community gathering place. They were really doing something special for the neighborhoods that they lived in, but they weren't as upscale. So part of the business plan was, hey, look, let's have this gap. Let's do this incredible $10 sandwich that really feels like a $14 sandwich and has the quality. Let's actually create a dining room that feels like an upscale version of Panera. Like let's create these gathering places for a little bit higher in neighborhoods. And then likewise, and one of the other things that we had going on in 2002 was the better coffee. So Starbucks was on fire growing. They had actually just entered Los Angeles in a big way. And there was just tons of better coffee places. So we said to ourselves, if we want to be a great cafe, let's actually not try to do everything. Let's just synergistically put ourselves right beside better coffee. So if you see like the first bunch of vendors and you still see them often, We'll be or share a wall with better coffee. So synergistically, we're almost an entire cafe and oftentimes share the same patio. So those were the premises that we saw around like this creation. And look, everyone eats sandwiches often. And we happened to make one that was pretty darn craveable. And that led to some great initial success.
0: What is it that Mike Tyson says? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. So you... (laughs) So you have this great idea and then you open and then there are no problems. You scale to 42 locations, the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a, it Probably was a, not the whole story though. So you yeah. open the first location predicated on this thesis. What happens?
1: The first location is that of Lore. It was like a failed Starbucks location underneath a Class A skyscraper that is an amazing office building. But we were like, almost I would say pseudo-subterranean. They actually called it the smoker's cave because it was the only place like you could smoke a cigarette in like a greater mile. So this was not like this like unbelievable triple A kind of spot. Look, a bunch of the mistakes that we made from the very onset is I really had a few other North stars that I was looking at. There was this great sandwich shop at the time out of New York. They later expand and very much watered down their brand. There's a lot of lessons to learn, but it was called Cozy. And they did breakfast catering. So as much as I didn't have coffee, I was like, man, we can do breakfast catering. Well, I'll tell you what, breakfast catering killed us based on how much we had for our lunch rush. We, in fact, weren't even good at lunch because we were giving so much effort to breakfast catering. So we were doing too much. We needed to narrow down our focus. I think that one of the other huge mistakes that we made is is we did our first stores in suburbia. We didn't make the dining rooms wide enough. Our core customer was this Lululemon mom, except for you couldn't push a stroller through our dining room to save your life. So now we're not actually solving the problems for this avatar, for this core customer. Our ordering format, was really based early on. We were merely feeding like lawyers and accountants and they were only ordering one item. And now in suburbia, we had families and we were this like pay last concept and it was horribly flawed. So there's been tons of iterations that we've made to the dining room, to the ordering format to try to get it right from our guests. So if there was any great takeaway, and maybe this is applicable to your sponsor, Yelp, is that actually listen to your guests, particularly if your guest is your core customer. You don't move in a moment, like with the wind, with every comment, but when they tell you that you're missing it and they're it's coming from a pretty sincere place, you should listen. And we've made some of our best evolutions, I think are because we had such intelligent guests and we shut up and listened and made a lot of those improvements and evolutions.
0: You've talked about being a mentor and we've also discussed privately the benefits that you've gotten from mentorship. And I don't need to belabor the point for the audience of how important mentorship can be. But what I want to talk about, because I think it's a really interesting angle to take, is who you choose as a mentor. And the reason I bring it up is because I think this is an industry built on mentorship. Right. But unfortunately, many of us are mentored by the wrong people that lie to us and not in an intentional way. But they say the restaurant industry is different. The fundamentals of business don't work in the restaurant industry. Right. We work hard because we love to work hard and there's no way to succeed in this business without working 100 hours a week. You have to work weekends. You have to give up your life. You have to do all of these things. And like these are the maxims within our industry that get passed down from generation to generation. Talk to me about the process that you went through in finding the right mentors that helped you scale your business.
1: Can I take it one step back from choosing who the right mentors are, right, to how to actually show up as a mentoree from someone that like, that was my gig and still is actually. I just sought mentorship last night from this guru formerly from Whole Foods. At the end of the day, I can't tell you the few really, really unsuccessful mentorship interactions I've had is when like a mentor really doesn't show up prepared. They almost show up to like, hey, please enlighten me. So there's no specific questions. There's not even really an openness to go deep. The second thing is then during the process, as you're actually maybe sharing, hey, these are some things to think about. Because at the end of the day... There's no magic wand. There's no perfect answer, but are they diligently taking notes? Are they actively listening? Are they just actually trying to have you give them data that fulfills their thesis of what they want you to tell them to agree with them? Like, it's like, you've already figured it out. Why are you even here talking? Like Obviously you've already done it and that's not going to get anyone anywhere. So look, If I was to give three recommendations and it's the ones I still practice to this day, it's like, do your homework, show up with like really specific questions. And most of those people that have been really, really great in their industries get excited. They see a little bit of themselves in that mentoring. And they also know that they were mentored and they really start opening. And you can start uncovering some unbelievable amount of information that are game-changing.
0: Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional.
1: I've been blessed with so many great mentors, and it's not even like a name-dropping thing. It's literally through actively seeking out at almost a stocking level, embarrassingly, as some of these people would mention. But there's an incredible CEO of Chopped Salads and Dos Toros. His name's Nick Marsh. He's just one of the smart, like at the end of the day, you want to find someone that's smarter than you. For me, it just happens. Most people are, so I can seek mentorship from many, but Nick is actually just one of those brilliant guys in the restaurant space. We became so close that I begged him to be on our board. And he's actually, he was like one of the longest board members that we had. He's been a thought leader. I still seek mentorship from him weekly. Ron Shake, who oddly enough, if you want to actually innovate Panera Bread, why not actually like go to the source. Ron's actually just one of the brilliant people. Anyone that's ever interacted with Ron knows how smart he is. I really have cherished the time that he's provided. Phil Friedman, an incredible restaurateur, gave me time back. I'm talking 1998. Phil was spending time with me. Uh, John Mackey at Whole Foods through the connection with Ron. And I will tell you, I showed up to that first mentorship meeting with John and Had I not been prepared, I actually asked John, he asked me this opening question. And I said, if I don't answer this well, is this over? And I'd flown all the way to Austin for this 30 minute meeting. And he goes, yes, it will be. (laughs) So thank God I prepared and the answer was okay enough. And that was an unbelievable relationship. In fact, Whole Foods uh, a year later invested in Medicino Farms and still is actually a stakeholder (laughs) in that business. So I've had some great ones. Great mentorship from some of even my private equity, another legend in the restaurant business, Bill Allen, in fact, had him on the board, quite possibly one of both like a historian because he's been around so long. And yet he's been so actively partnered with some of the young up and coming brands. He not only has the background and the history, but he's actually got such a forward look. So just one of the greats. So look, a lot of the success of Mendo was from some of these really, really great people thinking about the business and helping both myself and Ellen in being great partners. And my wife has done the same thing. has had some amazing mentorship. Christine Day, a former CEO of Lululemon, before that was one of the greats at Starbucks. Just some incredible people. So...
0: And what do you think is the best way to panhandle to begin those relationships? I'll give you an aside. When I was running Pru and Proper, I always looked to Redbird as an example. Like, we're both seated in downtown LA. We're both doing American food. Neil Frazier is just kicking the shit out of me every day of the week, right? <laughs> he and his family run that business, and they just do incredible, incredible work. And so I was talking with my business partner and I was like, oh, you know, I'm just so envious. And Neil's very intimidating at a distance. He's actually pretty intimidating close up as well. Um, And I asked my business partner, I was like, you know, how do you think we get to that level? And he goes, well, why don't you just call him on the phone and ask? I was so surprised. I would be a liar if I said he was like, yeah, come on by later today and we'll chat. But he was open to it. And over the course of several weeks, we arranged to meet up and we did. And he gave me an hour of his time. And I sat down well prepared with the list of questions and he answered every question I had. And some of them were intimate, right? And like very specific to the way he runs his business, the way he markets his business, knowing that I mean, our restaurants are located three miles away from each other and we do similar cuisine in an identical tier of dining. And he just gave me the keys to the city. And it was such a profound lesson that just by putting myself out there in a vulnerable place, it took us so much further. And I'm curious to know for you, especially when we talk about the names that you've dropped here, how have you initiated those relationships?
1: Yeah, I mean, each one's slightly different, but I would say with the exact same tenor that you approached it. Out of the blue, email, out of the blue, text, out of the blue, phone call, walking up, I mean. I had saved up all of our money to go to the NRN conference in Chicago. And randomly at that like cocktail party where most people are like trying to get their drink on, I noticed, you know, like Phil Friedman at the bar and approached him and said, Hey, look, I have a one unit teriyaki place that I'm really trying to scale. Would you ever answer some questions if I had on how to grow a business? You know, and at this point, like he had been. Vice President at PepsiCo, he'd be one of the most senior people at Panda. He had actually just run his sandwich concept. So anyway, look, I went up to him and sincerely came with some real specific questions, and he ended up going way out of his way. He sat on a board in Los Angeles, and every time he visited, I would come pick him up, and he would give me a half day. A lot of those adjustments we made because of it. I think that the approach of really going way out of your comfort zone. You have to be tenacious and you have to be specific. And if most people, if they see a sincerity and that you've really done your homework, they'll give you a little bit of time. And if you use that time wisely, they'll potentially give you more. So I think that your approach was a great one. And I also think that most of us, and I think those of us that have had a decent amount of success in the business, know that we have an obligation to pay it forward and that we were mentored and the mere fact that if we can find like-minded people that are maybe younger in the business and are struggling, that we're completely committed, even if we actually see them as a direct competitor, I mean, good ideas should be open source. I mean, that's literally the theme of your show is that these great ideas should be open source. And it really is kind of the tenets of John Mackey's conscious capitalism, where we're all fellow stakeholders. And I actually think that we should spend as much time learning and respecting our competition. Eric from Tender Greens and I are super close friends. And and that was, we came up together. I think Tender Greens literally is three months younger than Mendo. He opened that first spot in Culver City a couple months after Mendo opened. And I had reached out to him in that first year and said, hey, look, we're trying to do something. We're trying to figure out. And years later, we actually shared supply chain because we were trying to do something special and we're like, why not partner? Yet we were competing and yet would call me and I would share with him like, hey, these are our best locations. Honestly, you should come. And what you would think is you would steal those same guests. And what in fact was all boats rise with high tides. Better creates more better. I truly believe that actually we made each other better (laughs) because we continue to follow If I did a better catering package and Tender was innovating from that, it's this constant. It's great to have these kind of fellow stakeholders. So when you look back
0: at your time at Mendocino Farms, what lessons are there for, let's say, the folks listening for other independent restaurant owners and operators? What are the universal truths that they should internalize? Universal
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) truths. No pressure. Mario,
0: yeah. just tell me the way the universe works, please.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, the things that I think that cut for all restaurants, and I think we all kind of know them, I think really where the magic is in kind of the gritty details of the execution, but everyone's going to say, oh, strong culture, but really like then have you broken down, like how are going to initially create a strong culture and how it's going to continue to live? How are you going to do that, right? And that's almost its own podcast of really talking about what is a great culture. We think of people that are of the same culture speak, have a certain way of speaking. They have shared values. They have shared rituals. Have you built those into truly your business or is this idea of strong culture just some great words on the wall? And if they're great words on the wall, you know, or it's a wonderful mission statement that you show investors, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're not going to be able to recruit the best and brightest, and you're not going to be able to retain them. I think that would move me to the second thing that's just tried and true. Literally, in my new company, our mantra is better food, best people. So it's this notion of the best people. And are you able to recruit them? Are you able to retain them? Do you have a structure, a paradigm set up to continually to invest in them, to have them have a path? that they can continue to grow? Are they challenged in a daily way? Do you create transparency through certain rituals? Is your organization set up to receive feedback and make it actionable from your internal guest? So there's all these pieces, right? So strong culture, better people. And then, look, I think it's table stakes, but sometimes it's lost because you opened with the race to selling the $1 Cisco burger. You have to have craveable food that moves people. And it can't be esoteric. I mean, I always use the phrase it needs to be approachably adventurous. Every one of us has a foodie inside of us, you know, awakening that inner foodie. So those are the nuts and bolts that I think every single organization that's been successful really digs into on a daily basis, but strategically maps out why they're differentiated. How was that?
0: That was great. I now understand the universe. Uh, uh, You mentioned uh, your new company. Talk to me about Dom Food Group.
1: Yeah, Dom Food Group. I still am co-head cheerleader with my wife and business partner, Ellen Mendocino Farms. And we still sit on the board and, and still are investors in that and love that family. But I had the opportunity to have this like second mountain, right? And get to In retrospect, do it all over again. And in doing so, uh, sought out people that filled me up from my past. So I ended up partnering with three really good friends, one of which Tony Owen, his family is from a lot of success, Dominic's Grocery Stores, and he's been around grocery he's been a prolific investor around the restaurant and food space for the last 15 years. Uh, Donald Moore, who is a chief culinary officer at Cheesecake Factory, who I've become very, very close to, really one of the great architects of what possibly is one of the best-run restaurant groups still to this day. No one's touched their AUVs or their scale. You know, Cheesecake really has differentiated, and he is one of those great architects over there, and he and I have what many would call a bromance, and we still do. Uh, (laughs) My wife mentions how jealous she is of my relationship with Donald. And then this absolutely brilliant, cutting-edge, new media marketing guru, Nathan Tan. And really the premise behind it was I saw a lot of kind of these tech incubators and said to myself, like, there are a couple areas ripe for disruption in the food space. And can we get some of the best people I've been there. I've been at one unit. I've been where I can't afford a great ops person. So I totally get it. But that's not the situation we were in. If we spent the right kind of money, could we actually create a unicorn ranch of the best and brightest people in every category and then actually develop brands? So we've created this venture culinary studio that invests, develops, incubates food brands.
0: And what projects have you guys launched so far?
1: So far, we did a partnership with a company called Goop. We partnered and created a concept called Goop Kitchen, which has is kind of two divisions. One is a virtual kitchen restaurant division, and the other is a line of CPG products for grocery. So that's kind of the most notable. We have a few more that we're incubating as well, but that's the biggest one to date.
0: And where do you see opportunity? Where do you see opportunity for Dom Food Group? And where do you see opportunity for the folks listening?
1: I mean, there's definitely two giant opportunities that, you know, I go back to that smart of a guy, but they're fairly obvious. There is going to be a couple of really, really big winners in the virtual kitchen space. There's plenty of people that are doing it wrong. And there's actually a few that really are, you know, that really have the opportunity to do something pretty special. Through this, if there's any good thing, you know, some of the lessons that we've been learning from this global pandemic that our industry had to endure, but there's been some new muscles that have been built. Everyone's kind of gotten better at off-premise. Well, guess what? Our guests have actually gotten more used to ordering, you know, food. So there's a massive amount of content. I look at these virtual kitchens almost like that. they're like Netflix or Hulu. They're platforms. So the question becomes, who are going to be the best producers and content providers, and that's a really, really giant opportunity. And when we even look at like where we're what we're doing in North America in comparison to Asia, we're we're playing in the minor leagues at this point. So that's a really exciting space that we're spending enormous amount of time to kind of nerd out on. And the, the other one is prior to the pandemic, grocery. Knew that grocery needed to innovate. As the pandemic is hopefully kind of ending, at least like I can walk into Starbucks without a mask on. So I'm calling it we're coming back. This notion of disruption of grocery and the question of this old paradigm or this this almost 1970s playbook and how is it going to be updated? Both working within the paradigm and then whether it's outside the paradigm. So it's D2C or it's in these brands like. GoPuff or it's in these concepts like Foxtrot. So I think that there's a massive opportunity for people that are great in the restaurant space to start infiltrating and start participating in blurring those lines between restaurant and grocery. That's an unbelievably fascinating you know, space where we're spending a ton of time and as is others, but those are two huge opportunities.
0: This is an industry podcast and at the end of every episode I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: Yeah, it's uh I'm saying seek out mentorship, seek out mentorship and then I get a little bit questionable about the word advice, you know, as if there's you know again that perfect magic wand, but I think it's more like like what am I constantly reminding myself and if I'm sharing it with the rest of my fellow restaurant brethren then Absolutely, you know Look, I'm constantly telling myself, make sure that you're innovating, but not for innovation's sake, but that you're actually creating a restaurant or food concept that is needed, that is craveable, that is discernibly an improvement. And then the second thing that you've heard this theme is that I keep reminding myself that we're really not in the food business. We're in the people business both internal and external guests. Internally, we need to be great stewards of the culture. We need to enrich, we need to inspire, we need to develop. And then externally, we need to remind ourselves that we're creating a multi-sensory memory for our guests and that that's a huge opportunity and it's also a huge responsibility. I'm constantly reminded of those two challenges.
0: That's Mario Del Perro. For more on Mendocino Farms or Dom Food Group, click the links in the show notes. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.